0: It's such a joy for me to come and bring you the gospel of God's grace this morning. It's such a blessing to just know that this message of grace will empower you to um, unto God's quality of life. God loves you. God cares for you. He's dreamt you from before time. He's always wanted you. He um, He is your friend. He's your father. He's the one that's come to share his life with you. Now uh, this uh, broadcast is <coughs> last yesterday, um, it was supposed to be yesterday's broadcast, uh, but we had some te- technical difficulties, something with our internet provider uh, was not working and so we are uh, broadcasting it live now uh, uh, this morning, on Monday morning. So uh, I'm going to be talking about temptation and um, patience. Temptation and patience. What does it mean to be tempted and how does uh, temptation work. You know, many times we are tempted, and when we go through temptations, we think that the devil has tempted us with lying or stealing, or the devil is tempting you to fear, or the devil is tempting you to speak wrong and not speak positive. <coughs> Excuse me, and not speak positive, and we think the devil goes around. Tempting us with all these fleshly things, the devil has tempted you to drink and uh, to drink too much, or the devil has tempted you to speed. The devil has tempted you to, or he's tempting you with bitterness or fear, or those kind of things. Now I want to tell you that the devil doesn't tempt us with those kind of things. Um, I don't think that that is how it works. Temptation is something completely different. And I think if we can start to understand what temptation really is, we will live free from falling into uh, true temptation. Uh, Now, before we get into the message for today, uh, we're going to just pray together, and then I'm going to get into this message. This message will be about a 45-minute message, so if you've just logged in, um, no, this is not one of our short messages that we do on Facebook Live. This is going to be our Sunday service message that's just preached on a Monday. And um, and I trust this is going to bless you. Let us just pray together. Father, I want to thank you so much that we can be here together and that we can uh, talk about your goodness and your mercy and your grace. And thank you that you empower me to speak powerfully to people today. And thank you, Lord, that uh, you come and you have given us a key. You've given us a gift. You've given us a power whereby we can res- resist temptation, uh, which will empower us to a life where we live free from uh, falling into temptation of the devil. Thank you that you strengthen us. Thank you that you are for us. Thank you that we can walk in the victory of your goodness and your mercy and your grace towards us. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't come and put us up like a sitting duck and... Um, and see if we can dodge the bullets of the devil. But you have given us something that can actually empower us against what wants to destroy us. Thank you for that, Lord. Amen and amen. I remember there was a time in my life when, <clears throat> when I would go through a hard time. I wouldn't know, is it God, or is it the devil, or is it just circumstances? And uh, there was confusion in my life because I didn't know, must I resist the devil? Must I bind the devil? Um, is God purifying me or testing me or uh, bringing me through hard times to see as uh, as if I'm really His child? Almost like something with Abraham, you know, testing Abraham as if He would give His child, that kind of a thing. Uh, And then when you qualify or when you pass a test and you go on to the next level. I remember times when I was thinking that spirituality worked in these levels. Uh, and maturity worked in these levels wherein uh, you just get saved and when you just saved, God loves you the way you are, but then that will only last for about three, four, five months. And then as time goes on, God is now going to purify you and He's going to try and get you to mature. And uh, maturing, in, in maturing you, He's going to take you through difficult times and He's going to bring you through situations wherein he is purifying your faith and where he is purifying you, maturing you um, unto the Christian that he always wanted or unto the child that is robust in his belief. And the way he does that is uh, one of the ways would be hard times. Now, I remember the time when I believed that it was not just hard times, but it was hard times plus the word of God. You know, hard times plus the word of God and teachings. So God will mature you through a combination of hard times, teachings, as well as as well as his Holy Spirit prompting you and all those kind of things. A good mixture that I've had there. And then when I would go through a hard time, I wouldn't know, you know, is this God? At the moment I would go through a hard time, I would say, God, what are you trying to tell me? God, what are you trying to say to me? because I'm going through this hard time. Uh, and I mean, there, there might be people watching now. You're going through cancer. You're going through financial difficulty. You're going through depression. You might be depressed. If you're honest with yourself, you feel depressed. Uh, you, you, might, you might have children that's disobedient. They don't want to listen. That's going through hard times. That's, um, you, know, you, you might have kids. They don't want to allow you to see your grandkids. And you know, you might be going through so many difficult times and when you see these things, you say, God, what are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to communicate with me? Now, I want to tell you something, and that is that God is not trying to say anything to you through that hard time. God is not trying to communicate anything to you through that hard time. That hard time is not designed by God. It's not something that God has brought over your path to bring forth good in your life, uh, we don't have we don't need hard times to bring forth salvation to man. God has come to save us from death, He's come to save us from sin, and He has brought something very robust that we can have in our hearts. And <clears throat> when we have that in our hearts, we will be able to resist the devil in these times, in these difficult times. Now, um. When you go through these, like I said, don't think it is God that is trying to teach you something. Uh, The Bible says we have um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And the Bible also says that he will give us the Holy Spirit and he will remind us of everything we have freely received in Christ. When you receive something that's freely received in Christ, that is what gives you life. That is what gives you, that is how God teaches you, by reminding you of what you freely received in Christ. If hard times was the teacher of the church, if difficult times was what God used to purify you, there would be no need for the blood of Jesus. There would be no need for the self- salvation plan or the cross. Uh, the only thing that would have been needed was some very uh, bad-tempered people that could just put other people uh, in hard times and then through those hard times they could be purified. So I, wanna, I want you to know this, God will never tempt you, put you through tests and trials to purify your faith. Uh, it's not as if our faith is not pure. The faith that God brought in Jesus Christ, the thing to believe in Jesus is pure. The only way we can have our faith purified is this way, and that would be should we have a mixture between law and grace where we would mix uh, the, the, the belief in the grace of God with a mixture in the, in, of, of, of a works righteous message when we believe both, that God will purify that and the way he will purify, or he, he will actually just correct your belief. That is the best way. Another word for that is chastise. That means to correct. He will correct your belief. And how will he correct your belief? By telling you the truth. By telling you how things really are. That's what he will do. He'll communicate it to your heart. He'll bring preachers over your path. He'll speak to your heart. He'll give you dreams and visions. That's how he will communicate with you. Many of us, when we've gone through hard times... We've got, we've come to a place where in that hard time, we focus upon the goodness of God. We, we think of how God loves us. We turn to God. We speak to God. And then when we speak to God, He answers us and we get wisdom and understanding in that, in that situation. And instead of saying, you know, when I spoke to God, He answered me, we go and we are deceived in saying, when we were in hard times, God spoke to me. Uh, You know, you can speak to God anytime and He will speak to you. You don't have to think uh, that in heart, uh, God used hard times to get to my heart. No, you know, God was prompting your heart long ago. Um, And in the hard times is when you decided to speak to God. And that was when you were hearing God. But God didn't orchestrate the hard time to get you to talk to Him. Because He is not a wicked father that will bring hard times over your path to uh, purify you or to draw you closer to Him. God has drawn mankind close to Him. God has drawn mankind so close to Him that uh, He actually became a man, <clears throat> and that, there is, uh, that He became human flesh. I mean, that's how close He has drawn us. And He has poured out the Holy Spirit that will speak to our hearts to remind us of this, um, of this truth. Now, when we look at the love of God in James and we look at James chapter 1, uh, we're gonna read some things there and we're gonna study some of the words in the Greek there and we're gonna look at this temptation and all of, all of the things in, in James chapter 1. But before we get into that, I would like to just give a little bit of a background and a summary of what I wanna say in this message. James, uh, writes to the 12 tribes uh, that was scattered. So this was written to Jewish believers that was scattered. And history tells us, um, church history tells us that this or this was um, written to people that scattered after Stephen was stoned. And after Stephen was stoned, the church got scared and they ran into different places. And then James, um, the brother of the Lord, wrote this uh, this letter, and he wrote it to the twelve tribes that were scattered. And what was taking place is these Jews were going through persecution. They they were going through hard times. They were were persecuted by by Romans. They were persecuted by Gentiles even where they were as they were sharing their gospel. And they were going through difficult times. And what they wanted is, what they were expecting is the return of the Lord and immortality in human flesh. And they weren't seeing that. Uh, We must realize that in our study of church history, um, and in our reading of the Bible, we need to realize that these people were expecting Jesus to come back any day. And they were expecting that they wouldn't die. That's what they were expecting. These people believed, and uh, I I want you to follow what I'm saying. This is the truth, what what I'm sharing with you. I've read it Many times I've studied the New Testament. This is what the New Testament church believed. They had this expectation that because Jesus was raised from the dead and when they believe upon him and they have the Holy Spirit inside them, that Jesus will return in their lifetime and that they would never taste death. They would be immortal. That is what they believe. That is what what their whole christian faith was about they were not paul was not preaching people were not going around preaching that listen man you know jesus died and went to heaven and now we've got this hope that when we die we can go to heaven no what they were preaching is we have the hope of immortality in you in a human body that's what they preached and then as that was being preached some of the people who actually preached this started to die (laughs) and uh, as they were starting to die um, the way it looks to me is they had such a powerful voice of death in the presence of their gospel that a question mark uh, their gospel could be questioned is this the truth why are we not immortal why is the gospel not working what shall we do for this gospel is not working? We're in a difficult time. And that was the perfect time when when we could take the message of Judaism, which was a law-based message, and try and amalgamate it or integrate it with a grace message where people would would then, through works, try and make what Christ has done work. Um, I hope you're hearing what I'm trying to say. And some people would even go back to Judaism, completely back to Judaism, because of this persecution. Remember, people lost their homes, they lost their businesses, because they became Christians. If you were Christian, don't think other Jewish people are going to do business with you. You were treated, um, you would almost be treated like a tax collector. You were cast out. You were called an enemy of the cross. You, you, were, uh, not en- you were called an enemy of God because you believed in the cross. That is what it was all about. Now, with this in mind, and um, I want to just say this about James. James writes to these Jewish people, and what happened to them, they were going through hard times, and as they were going through hard times, they were seeking proof of the salvation. And the first thing that the Jews would fall back into as a proof of salvation is financial prosperity. Uh, that is the first thing that they were thinking of. They were th- they they sat with Deuteronomy 28 fresh in their minds. I uh, mean, was something that was just they had to learn off by heart. Uh, they had to know Deuteronomy 28 off by heart. Most of those Jews did especially the scholars, the scribes, the Pharisees, the people like Paul that sat under Gamaliel, he knew, blessed will you be in the field, blessed will you be, blessed will you be. And, um, you know, and everything speaks about the blessing of money, uh, of your cattle, of your family, and all those kind of things. All these blessings would be in your life. And then, um, You know, we even see this in Peter and the apostles, when Jesus said to the rich young ruler, you know, that go and sell everything, come and follow me. And then after that, Jesus said to the disciples, you know, it's very difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And then they were astonished above measure. And they said, if the rich cannot be saved, who can then be saved? Because they thought that as you obeyed the law, you would see first fruits of, the or proof that you are you are uh, 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 that you will be part of the messianic reign, and this proof that you are going to be saved from death, or that you're going to be saved. Uh, from the oppression of the Romans, would be financial prosperity. Blessed will you be in the field. Blessed will you be um, y- your basket. Blessed will be the fruit of your kind. Blessed, blessed, blessed. And all these blessings what was what they thought would be the first fruit of salvation. And they were not seeing that, you know, in believing in Jesus. Uh, they were seeing the opposite. What these people were looking at and what they were seeing is they were seeing persecution. They were seeing people being beaten, people being killed. Um, they were seeing they losing their property. They were, uh, like Paul said, nakedness, distress, peril, the sword. Uh, that's what they were partaking in. And they were thinking, man, is this working or is it not working? You know, and uh, then some of them... and. I think a lot of them went started to go back to Judaism, where they started to practice the Jewish system again, and where they would befriend the Jews again, and they tried to mix these messages in, and they were not doers of the true gospel anymore. But they they went back to be doers of the law of Moses. They they started to become doers of the message of works righteousness, and as they started to do to do that. You know, they started to befriend the rich again, and they started to do business again, and it started to go a little bit better with it. Uh, and in in this setting is what James chapter 1 is all about. Now, let us go and let us read uh, James 1 verse 1 to 4. James 1 verse 1 to 4. It says in 1 verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into different temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith, uh, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. I want to read verse 1 to 4 again. It says, James, the servant of God. And of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be um, perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, when we look at that, it says, it clearly says. Count it all joy when you fall into these different temptations. Count it all joy when you fall into these different temptations. Now, what was this temptation? Was this temptation to go and eat a chocolate that's in the fridge, you know, when you know that you're on a diet? Was this temptation to um, go and drink a glass of wine, uh, If you, w- where, you know, when you're not supposed to drink a glass of wine? Was this temptation... Oh, man the temptation was definitely not speeding with those chariots and stuff you know was the was the temptation to swear or cuss was the, was the temptation to um, have an outburst of wrath what was the temptation that he was talking about um, that scripture where it says counted all joy when you fall into different temptations did not mean counted joy when you feel tempted to go uh, to fall with a woman counted joy when you feel tempted to steal money Count joy when you feel tempted to lose your temper. You know, that is not what it means. These temptations um, mean something different. And we're just going to look in our next slide there, what temptation means. It, it says there, and I want to just focus on the first part there, it says, A putting to proof. A putting to proof by experiment of good. Experience. Right. Now, um, what it says there is count it all joy when you fall into a place where you have to, where you feel tempted to prove to prove what you believe. So even if we look at Jesus Jesus was tempted of the devil. Um, you know he was at a place where he had to prove his sonship. So if we are at a place where we have to prove our sonship, he says, count it all joy. So, you know, when you get to a place where, and this is what he was saying to these people, you are persecuted. You're going through difficult times. You are not seeing immortality in your life. Um, you, you you are going through these difficult things. He says, count it all joy. He says, count it all joy when you fall into all these things. And why does he say that? He says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience so he doesn't say just be happy because you're going through hard times he says be happy when you see hard times coming because of something else knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience now I want to just go to that word trying of your faith there the next slide let's just look at that it says there that the trying of your faith, uh, just like four there really, enough, <coughs> the trying of your faith says this, it means attesting by implication, trustworthiness or trial or trying. And I want to focus on the word trustworthiness there. Now, when we look at uh, the trying of your faith, the, the that trying of your faith is something that is actually it doesn't talk about testing there. It talks about trustworthiness. So what he's saying is, when you come to a place where you are tempted to go back to the law, when you are in a place where, uh, where the voice comes and says, prove that you're a child of God, prove your salvation, he says, listen, just know this. That this faith and this expectation that God will bring immortality in the return of Christ has got some trustworthiness and, and this trustworthiness of this faith produces patience. That's what it produces. The trustworthiness of your faith will produce patience. So listen to this again. When you have the faith of God, and the faith of God is this, when your heart is persuaded that God will bring immortality to your human body in the, re- in the return of Christ, that He has conquered all your sin, that He has conquered all your death, and that He will bring it forth in you, when you are persuaded with that persuasion, you can trust the following, that when you come to a place where you must prove your sonship, Patience will be a fruit in your life. (laughs) That sounds so much different than what we thought. We thought, you know, the, the proof of true faith when we are tempted like Jesus was in the desert. Now, let's go to the temptation of Jesus. He was tempted in the desert. and When he was tempted, you know, he had faith in his heart. He had faith that he is the Son of God. And then the devil came to him and said to him, if you are a child of God, heal yourself from this poverty that you are in and the trustworthiness that was in the faith of Jesus. What it bring forth in Christ? Patience. When he said, well, I'm not going to prove my sonship. I'm not going to try and conquer my own death here. I'm not going to try and conquer the death that I'm experiencing here by my faith. In other words, Jesus did not use his faith. He didn't try and look at the good that God has promised him and work the good to prove his sonship in that moment. He didn't do that. What he did was, he had patience and he says, the Father will vindicate me. The Father will prove my sonship because my sonship can only be proven in me conquering physical death and he promised me that even if I die he will raise me up so there's no need in proving sonship in changing bread into stones or jumping off I don't have to prove my immortal body that, that I am immortal by jumping off a temple and not dying and having scripture quoted towards me and now I'm going to use this scripture jump off the temple and prove my sonship now this is what the scripture says when you come to a place where a voice comes to you that says, look at your situation, prove your sonship, know this, that the, as long as what your heart is persuaded of the immortality that Christ promised you, and you know that you have eternal life because of the resurrection of Christ and you simply just believe that, something will happen in your heart and something will come forth in you which is called patience. Patience is not um, the ability to stand at the ATM and not be angry. That is not the patience the Bible talks about there. The patience that the Bible talks about there, and we can just look at the next slide, just look at that quickly there. It means steadfastness or uh, constancy, to be constant, and endurance. Um, In the New Testament, the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose. Right. So what is our deliberate purpose in Christianity? Our deliberate purpose in Christianity is not to be found in works righteousness, but in the righteousness of God so that we can attain unto immortal human flesh on account of the doing of God in Jesus Christ. That is the end goal. That is the purpose. That's what Paul said. Paul clearly said, he said, I don't want any law. I only want grace because if I, if if I'm inside this grace of, and he says, because this is the reason I want to attain unto the resurrection of the dead. So Paul said, as long as what I am believing, or James said, as long as what I'm in this belief that God will vindicate me, God will prove my sonship, I don't have to prove it by myself, and I'm in a situation where I see difficulty or where I see persecution or any of those kind of things come my way, I'm already happy because I know that this faith that I have has got a side effect or it's got an effect in me and the effect it has on me in that situation is it makes me hard-headed, man. It makes me difficult. I'm not going to change. I've seen it in my own life. Um, You know, if when I preach, let's take my teaching on tithing, for instance. When I preach on tithing, and I preach that Jesus is the tithe, you know, that's all okay. But if you want to see me really preach Jesus is the tithe, if you want to really see my heart established in that, try and come against me in that teaching. Try and quote verses. Try and do any of those kind of things. You will find that that patience, that, that, that ability to endure a persecution is awakened in me. And my head becomes harder. I become more stubborn. <laughs> I'm not changing because of the trustworthiness of this faith. The trustworthiness of this faith, and this is what the Bible says, for the trying of your faith, for the trustworthiness of your faith, will bring forth patience. So what it says is, God shall bring forth immortality in our lives. And whatsoever comes our way, that seems, uh, that has got a, a voice that contradicts that, The fact that I'm believing this, it is so faithful, it is so true, it is so honest that it will give me the endurance today to stand up against the biggest onslaughts that there can ever be against truth and I will not be fazed. I will just sit in the rest of God. That is what will happen. That is what this faith brings. Now what what will bring confusion is when we come to a place where we have this teaching that says, we must go around and we must establish the kingdom of God in the earth. We must go around and we must bring the greatest prosperity to the earth. We must, we must manifest the kingdom of God in the earth. We must have all those kind of things. And if we as the church don't do it, there's something wrong with us. That is a lie. I want to tell you that faith doesn't have the trustworthiness to bring forth patience in hard times. The only thing you can trust if you've got that faith that says you must manifest the kingdom in this earth today, you must do all those kind of things, is that you're going to look at everything and you're going to have doubt in your heart. You're going to start to scrutinize your own life. You're going to start to look at what's wrong with you and all those kind of things instead of just sitting and resting in the finished work of God's integrity towards man. So in summary for the first part here is this. Counted all joy. He said to those Jews, listen man, when you see these guys persecute you for believing this, if you see that's coming, count it joy. Be already happy because the moment they start to do something, this very thing that you believe has got an effect. It's got a fruit and it is called patience and that patience is it brings forth steadfastness and constancy and endurance to you and you will not be swerved from your deliberate purpose so the only way we can handle persecution hard times is by not looking back to the old law and trying to prove anything the moment you try to prove your faith the moment you try to do that, you're not going to find patience in that time. Confusion is going to come your way and that difficult time will become very, very difficult. Now, <clears throat> let us go to, I want to read slide 6 there, um, James 1 verse from verse 5. It says, if any man of you lack wisdom, now remember Jesus was made wisdom for us. In other words, if any boy, what he lacks, what Christ, knowing what Christ has done for us, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and abradeth not and it shall be given unto him. Let him ask in faith, not wavering, for he that wavers is like the wave of the sea, driven with the winds and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I want to just point out verse uh, 5 there. It says, Let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally or freely and abradeth not, and it shall be given unto him. Verse 6 But let him ask in faith, not wavering, for he that, wa- for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Right. The, that verse is so powerful. It says there, let it give to every man, that gives to every man liberally. You know that word liberally there just means freely, and abradeth not. Now that word abradeth in the Afrikaans is the word vervat. I vervat nie. What it actually means is he will not take in account, take the past into account. Neither will he humiliate you. That's what it means. It says, if anybody needs wisdom, if anybody needs uh, Jesus Christ applied to your situation, um, ask of God, and He will freely give you the answer, and He will not bring the past into account. Now, what these Jews were thinking is that they were going through hard times because, and they wanted to know, why are we going through hard times? They were thinking that everything must manifest now. And when they didn't see the full manifestation of everything, I'm not talking just about the fruit of the Spirit, I'm talking about all that the Jews thought salvation looked like. When they didn't see that, they thought, what are we doing wrong? And then when they then they prayed to God and they already had this doubt in their mind. Oh God, what are we doing wrong? What must we do? And when they asked, not in faith, meaning believing God will bring anything, but they, the question is already wrong, what must we do? The moment they do that, they've come to a place where they mix law with grace. And what they are saying is, is that the answer that God gave them was to go back to the law. And what he's saying here is that whenever you need wisdom from God, know this, God is not going back to the old stuff. So if you're going through a difficult time financially and you're asking God, God, why am I going through a difficult time financially? Uh, don't think that God's going to go back to the old law and He's going to say, uh, because you're not paying your tithes. He abradeth not and is not going to humiliate you. He's not going to do that. He's not going back to the old thing because he wants eternal life in you. That's why he's not going to point you back to the old law. Then he goes on and he says, let him ask, not wavering, um, you know, like the seed. In other words, what he says, when you need any wisdom from God, don't come to a place where you want your answer in the law. Well, I believe in grace, but God, I I, I didn't pray enough. I didn't do this enough. I didn't speak well enough. There was something wrong with what I say all the time or any of those things. He says, don't do that because then you'll be double-minded. And he comes and he, and what Paul does is he comes and he tells these Jews, he says, listen, guys, you are double-minded. You you are law-minded and grace-minded. And if you are law-minded and grace-minded and you come to God, you know, I want to tell you, you're going to struggle to hear what God is saying. Now, let us read verse 12 there. It says, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. Which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. Now look at this. He said, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for if he endures he shall receive the crown of life. Now what is he talking about there? <laughs> he says let us, blessed is the man that continues to believe in the good news, wherein the Lord brings forth patience so that he doesn't fall back under the law, for he shall receive immortality. That is what that verse means. I will not tell you, you can differ from that. You can, you can say, well, I don't believe that. That cannot be the truth, whatever. You know what? I, f- I already feel the patience coming through the faith (laughs) that's already in my heart. I cannot change from this. This is, there's a patience inside me that says, you know what, as long as what I live in this body on the earth, there will be the temptation. The devil will want to tempt me to try and prove my immortality. The devil will try and tempt me to prove that I'm a son of God. But I'm not going for that. I'm not going for that. Why will I? I will not be going for that. Why? Because I'm not changing my belief. I'm not going to change my belief to a belief that says, you know, a child of God will have all these things in his life and then take the Jewish definition of law and put all of it in there. I'm not going to do that. Because the moment I change, I mix Judaism with Christianity and I mix the law with grace, what's going to take place is I'm going to be unstable in all my ways and I'm going to ask of God and a guy who asks with double-mindedness cannot receive anything from God. What he will receive will not be from God. It will be from his mixed belief. It's not as if God doesn't give. It is just what you receive doesn't come from God. It comes from your warped belief. So blessed is the man that endures temptation. Blessed is the man that has got the patience inside him. That does not fall back under the law. For when he is tried, when he is, that would tried mean when the proof comes that he is the son of God. He, this is the proof. This is what he shall receive is the crown of life. What is the crown of life? Is where your body will be crowned with immortality. That is what that is all about. It says, let no man say when I'm tempted, I'm tempted of God. In other words, it says, let no man say God is actually guiding me to go back to laws and rules and regulations. The devil tempted Jesus. To prove his sonship. Let no man say God said that I must prove my sonship. It's like signs of wonders and miracles people. You're not going to find Bertie Brits proving his sonship through signs wonders and miracles. You know, we've had that teaching that said, you know, if you're a child of God, you know, the early church went and they did signs, wonders, and miracles. So we must now have signs, wonders, and miracles. And if you don't have a sign, wonder, and miracle, you're not, you know, there's something wrong with your faith. Satan, get behind me. Satan, get behind me. And if I look at my, um, you know, I've, I've injured my shoulder and. Um, it was really painful, man. Really painful. I mean, I was the other night I was in bed and I was crying tears. You know, I had pain in my shoulder. And, um, you know, you, you can have this voice come to you and say to you, you know, Bertie, God will confirm. God, it is written that God confirms his word with signs, wonders and miracles. So, Heal your shoulder so that you can know you are busy with the right word. (laughs) Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Does that mean that I cannot be healed? Well, I can tell you now, I feel much better today. Glory to God. And am I using that to prove anything? No. No, because the proof of my sonship cannot be in the healing of my shoulder. Uh, you know, the healing of my shoulder is just, um, a f- it, it is what the Bible calls part of the gifts of the Spirit, signs one as miracles. It's just a sign of what God will do in the return of Christ when I will receive an immortal human body. And it's not going to, we're not going to fall into this proof thing. So I want to say to you that unless you've received the crown of life, That means unless you have seen immortality manifest in your life, meaning you've got an undying human body that already manifests in you, you will be at a place where you will hear a voice that wants to tell you to prove yourself. And the way, the only power you have to resist that is to have a heart persuaded that the only proof there is of sonship is in immortality, which only God can manifest in you, which he has promised and which he has shown in the resurrection, and that that truth of that resurrection shall manifest in you by the doing of the Holy Spirit and not your works. The only proof power, the only, the way unto patience, the way unto resisting temptation is not by you resisting the devil. It's like when I say, get behind me, Satan. It's not me even resisting the devil. It is the patience in me speaking. I hope you hear what I'm saying. True faith has got patience. It isn't... You you shouldn't say, well, if you have true faith, be patient. Can you hear the difference? The one is you doing something and the one is the result of a belief. So when I believe, when I say, well, I am still mortal. I am seeing the signs of mortality. I am seeing weakness in my body. I am seeing these things. I am absolutely open for signs, wonders and miracles. This body is a temple of God and I am available for the signs, wonders and miracles and for the Spirit to do whatever He wants to do in this body even if it is that this body will remain until the coming of the Lord. I mean, if if Jesus wants to make my body become 400 years old, I'm, I'm open for anything that God wants to do by His Holy Spirit in my body. I'm open for that, I'm not against that. I'm not against the gifts of the Spirit, signs, wonders and miracles. I'm available for that. but I'm not going to try and prove it. but I'm available for that. and we see it manifest. We see the power of the Holy Spirit. We see the signs and the wonders and the miracles, but it is not something that we, we're not going to fall. We, we, we're not going to fall into proving anything by the power of the Holy Spirit. That would be the law. That would be, that will destroy your life. It has destroyed the church. You know, I see, I I see folk and I, I, I don't want to point fingers, but I see people, their whole ministry is to, the other day I was looking at somebody doing miracles and it's like, it's like on the camera all the time showing, you know, see this miracle, see this miracle. Listen, my brother. It's for many, many years that I believe God can do miracles. You don't have to convince me that God can do miracles. He can do miracles. I know that. I believe that. We don't have to try and prove that God can do a miracle. We know God can do miracles. The church doesn't need to be persuaded that God can do a miracle. What the church needs to to know is that they are innocent before God, that the Spirit of God will bring life to them. What they need to have is to share in the quality of God's life, enter into peace and rest in the goodness of God, wherein God will raise them from the dead and quicken their mortal bodies to be immortal by the doing of God. That's what the church needs. They need to hear the truth. We don't need another wave of proving God can do miracles. Please spare us, Lord, of that. Um, Are we open for miracles? Yes, but we're not going to use it to prove us. Now, to prove anything. Now, I'm going to end off, I'm just halfway through my message, but I want to end off by saying this. The moment you are tempted by the devil, this is what happens. The devil comes and he wants to scrutinize what you believe. And then he wants proof of what you believe. And the moment he does, he he wants that. And your desire for proof, you also have a desire for proof. I want to say that to you. All of us, we've got that desire inside us. We would want to see, I would want to see a body that's immortal. I've got a longing in me. I've got desire in me. But once that desire that is in me mixes up with this thing that the devil says, and I give in to the temptation, you know what happens then? The Bible says, then sin comes forth. Now what that means is simply this. We are not tempted to go and drink and get drunk we are tempted to prove ourselves and once we are tempted and we fall into the thing of proving ourselves we fall into the law then sin then then, then, then the, the, our flesh brings forth sins So we are not tempted to go and sleep around. We're not tempted to lie. We're not tempted to cheat. We're not tempted to do all those things. That's not what we're tempted with. That is the fruit and that is the manifestation of you that have already fallen for the temptation and that are now under the power of sin and death bringing forth fruit in you. So if we resist sin, how do we resist sin? How do we resist temptation? We resist temptation by this, by simply believing that Christ promised us immortality and even if we don't see anything in this life, He has promised us that and He shall bring it forth even if we have died and that nothing in this world can be a proof of our sonship. The moment we believe that simple truth, we find that truth bring forth patience. You know what the fruit of the Spirit is? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Long-suffering. I mean, it's a fourth. L- love, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. I mean, let us just read all of those quickly. I just feel, let us just read that in um, Galatians 5. You uh, know, there's not a slide for that, so don't worry about a slide. Um It says, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So self-control and patience, long-suffering is something that will happen to you. The moment your heart is persuaded that Christ by His Spirit shall make your physical body immortal in the return of Christ and that is what I've preached about the past two Sundays the one was about the perfect Christian inside your imperfections how to be the perfect Christian and the second one was uh, naked and unashamed so the moment you can say I am naked I am not closed with immortality I don't see immortality in my life but I've got the promise of immortality and if I see the signs of mortality I'm not faced by that I'm not going to try and prove my life inside mortality because he's promised me the fruit of that in your life is patience endurance because that belief is trustworthy the trustworthiness of this faith will produce patience in your life where you will be able to resist the voice that comes to you in that difficult times You know, you might say, you know, I've been struggling with this in my life. I've been struggling with that in my life. Why am I not having the victory over that in my life? Those will be the voices. I tell you, in that, inside that, as you see Christ promised you immortality for your body, and that this body cannot express right now the fullness of your immortality, you know what? You will just find a patience. You will find love, joy, peace in that time. You will also find the fruit of the Spirit, signs, wonders and miracles take place in your life. Not as a proof, but as a fruit of not trying to prove. I hope you understand what I'm saying. You need to listen to this many times. I mean, uh, the Lord has spoken to me about this. He's he's, he's, he's revealed this to me. And over years, uh, my heart has come to believe that everything is not about going to heaven. Everything is about the resurrection from the dead. That is what it is all about. Now, Paul comes, and let me end off with this. He says in verse 21, let's read slide 8 there, Helena. He says there, uh, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul and be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Right. It says there, just, um, it says there clearly, it says, Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. So what that means is if you tamper with the law, you naughty. Naughty if you tamper with the law. That is you naughty. You're a naughty child if you tamper with the law. So he comes here and he says here, lay aside all filthiness. What is filthiness? Filthiness is to try and Prove your sonship. Filthiness is trying to go back to Judaism. Filthiness is to say, God is tempting me to show my sonship. God is tempting me to mix in law with grace. He says that's filthy and that is naughty. <laughs> he says lay down that. And then he says, And receive with meekness the engrafted word, the message of our immortality. Receive that which is able to save your soul. Now that saving of the soul can be talked about, preserve your mind, will, and emotion, which is true. But the true context there is that this word will preserve your life, that you will not enter eternal death, but that your life will be preserved eternally. Your emotion shall be saved and your life shall be eternally preserved by receiving the word of God. And then it says, go on to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And the context here, next week I'll preach on that. Um, the context here is a doer of the word me- means somebody who is a person wherein this message of God's grace lives... And not a doer of the law. If you're a doer of the word, you rest. If you're a doer of Moses, you work. Doers of the word are those who simply believe that their righteousness is the righteousness of God. A doer of the word is somebody who's not naughty, who looks into the perfect law of liberty, see their freedom, and don't forget what kind of man they are. So I want to end off with this. Satan will always, until you find your immortal body, he will want to tempt you by proving yourself. So let us resist in that way. How? Not by us resisting by our willpower, but by having the correct faith for the trustworthiness of this faith will bring forth patience in our lives. I want to say this. You are loved by God. You are cared for by God. He is the one that loves you and cares for you and has extended His grace towards you. And as He extended this towards you, know this, that He is this faith that you believe in brings forth patience in you. It is God resisting. It is not you resisting. You don't want to come and have your human patience. I'm being patient, waiting for the return of Christ. No, no, no. As you believe this, the trustworthiness of this faith worketh patience. And then it says, let patience have its perfect work so that you can be an experience the manifestation of immortality and the salvation of your soul where your mind your will your intellect is preserved from the voice of these circumstances glory to God I want to thank you so much for watching this thank you for sharing this video with as many people as what you feel in your heart to do and uh, just uh, and and just continue to experience the goodness of God that he has towards you. Thank you for watching. God bless you. And I'll see you again next week. Amen.